This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Born a child and yet a king. Father, we, we know that, that Christ has been installed by you as our king, king of kings and lord of lords. And the message of Christmas is incredible good news. Not only because Christ was born as a baby in Bethlehem, but that he is coming again as king of kings and lord of lords to rescue and raise his people and to destroy evil and to make this broken world whole. And so Lord, we thank you for the message of Psalm 2. May your spirit work in our hearts now as we look at your word together on this Christmas Eve. It's the name of Jesus the King that we pray, amen. So it was great to have all three of our, our kids here this, this morning reading scripture. And when they were little, most, most nights, most weeknights, after dinner, we would, we would get them together and we would have just a brief time of family worship. And so we would read a brief passage of scripture and uh, then uh, Melissa or I would, you know, uh, ask some questions to kind of you know, draw them out and kind of provoke discussion. And so when, you know, when we would do that, sometimes we would chuckle because the youngest one, Cassidy, who was very, very little at the time, whatever question we would ask, she always had the right answer because Cassidy always answered in the sweet little precious voice, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Because ultimately, Every passage of scripture, every story in the Bible points to Christ. As, as Sally Lloyd-Jones uh, says in her masterful book, the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we would often read in our little time of family worship, she subtitled that, the name of that book, Every Story Whispers His Name, the name of Jesus. But some passages in the Bible shout the name of Jesus. And Psalm 2 is one of those passages. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 2. We have been in an Advent series called Home for Christmas. We've been looking at different Psalms that have the theme of, of coming home to God. And Psalm 2 is about the son of home. It's all about Christ and the ultimate home that he is preparing for his people. Psalm 2, and I want to invite you to, to look at that together as we read. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth. Rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. 
Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. Now, before we get into Psalm 2, I want to kind of set the stage of this psalm. Psalms 1 and 2 are not just the first two psalms. Psalms 1 and 2 are like a gateway that opens up the entire Psalter. Psalm 1 is really about Scripture's law. Psalm 2 is about Scripture's Lord. Originally, Psalm 2 was a coronation psalm. It would have been read at the coronation ceremony of the Davidic kings. But the language here points far beyond David or any of the Davidic kings that followed David. The language here points to a greater David and a greater king, the king born in the city of David, Bethlehem. The key term here in the psalm is found in verse 2, anointed one. From that comes the Hebrew word Messiah, and from Messiah comes the word Christ. You know, most secular people, when they hear Jesus Christ, they think Christ is Jesus' last name. No, Christ means that he is king. He is the anointed, the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the king. And the king is coming. Advent means coming. Christ has come at his first advent. He is coming again to rule and to reign. This Christmas Eve, as we look around at our world, we see so much brokenness in this world. Sometimes, if you're, if you're like me, sometimes you grow weary of just the, 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 the sheer brokenness of this world that we see all around us. Weary, you know, of, of, of massacres, which we have seen this fall in, in Israel, and another one in Sudan, which hardly anybody in the West is even talking about. Massacres, mass shootings, moral chaos, Marxism. I mean, this world 
is broken. Now listen, the message of Christmas is that it will not always be so. The days of brokenness in this world, those days are numbered. Christ has come and Christ is coming again to rule and to reign. So let's quick, quickly walk through Psalm 2 together. What do we see here? I want us to look at four things. First of all, we see in verses 1 through 3, the raging kings. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. Now, originally, this would have been talking about plotters, uh, earthly rulers who were plotting against God's anointed king in Israel. But again, the language here in Psalm 2 points far beyond David, far beyond any of the Davidic kings that followed him. This psalm is ultimately about the world's rebellion against the king of kings. The world's rebellion against Christ. And look at the language here that we see. It talks about the, these kings plotting, you know, in verse, in verse 1. And conspiring together against the Lord in, in, in verse 2. I saw a photo that emerged from uh, Gaza, and it was a picture of these leaders of Hamas down in one of their tunnels, one of their air-conditioned uh, tunnels, while people are suffering all, all on the above ground, above their heads. But here were these, these evil uh, leaders of this terrorist group down below uh, in perfect comfort, you know, and they had uh, just an sumptuous spread of food in front of them, and they're all gathered around this table. This is probably before October 7th. And, you know, you, you can be sure that that conversation involved lots of conspiring and plotting of evil and murder. Now, some of them in this photo had circles around their heads because they're already dead, and surely the ones that didn't have circles uh, will, will one day, because that is the future. That is the future for these raging, conspiring rulers who are plotting against God and against his anointed one. After Christ was born, there was a massacre King Herod had the infants in the vicinity of, of, of Bethlehem massacred, these babies massacred in a vain attempt to murder Christ. But Herod found out, as all these raging, puny human tyrants will find out, that he was not in control. Acts 12.23 says that shortly after that, Herod was eaten by worms and died. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that his death was particularly gruesome. We now pretty much know that what Herod died of was something called Fournier's gangrene. And this is the medical description of it. A kidney disease that results in intense itching, 
painful intestinal problems, convulsions in every limb, breathlessness, and maggot-infested gangrene of the genitals. You heard it right. Herod found out, as all conspiring puny human tyrants who are plotting against the Lord will ultimately find out that he was not in control. The king with a capital K is in control. That's the second thing that we see here in Psalm 2, the regal king, the regal king. Look at verse four. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Listen, the world's true ruler is not the least bit threatened by the puny human tyrants of this world. The world's true ruler ruler is not the least bit threatened by the Ayatollahs of Iran or the Sinwars or the Putins or the heads of the Communist Party of China. He's not the least bit threatened by them. In fact, he finds their, the plotting and the puny pretensions of these human rulers to be laughable. He has already installed the world's true king. Verses five and six. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Now originally, again, this would have been talking about the installation of one of the kings in Jerusalem, one of the Davidic kings, but the language here points far, far beyond that. The baby who was born in Bethlehem, the city of David, as a descendant of David, that baby would live the perfect sinless life that we could never live. He would die the death we should have died on the cross in our place for our sins. And he would be raised victoriously from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father where he has been installed as the world's true Lord and King. Psalm 110.1 tells us about that. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 25 says, For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. Christ is coming again to raise and rescue his people, but also to destroy evil forever. Revelation 11 and verse 18 says the nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. The destroyers will be destroyed. Christ will rule and reign in a world of love the regal king. Third, the royal decree in verses seven through nine. Let's look at these verses. I will declare the Lord's decree. 
He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. Now who is the speaker here in verses seven through nine? It is the anointed one. It is Christ. Christ here in verses seven through nine is repeating the decree which God the Father has pronounced over him. Look at verse eight again. Ask of me, this is the Father speaking to the Son, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. Now, this has huge implications for missions. What is the great commission that Jesus gives us? Go and make disciples of all nations, right? Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's picking up here on the language of Psalm 2. Because people from every tribe and tongue, from every nation, are going to come to know Christ. And they're going to join us in glory in worshiping our King. This is the promise of Scripture. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slaughtered and you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. Again, in Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. What an incredible promise. We can, we can send our missionaries with confidence. They can go forth to the nations with confidence, knowing that there are going to be people from every tribe and tongue that are gonna be joining us in glory and worshiping Christ. But these verses are not only a promise, but also a warning to those who remain in rebellion against God and against his king. Verse nine, you will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. At his first advent, Christ came as a baby. At his second advent, he will come, not only to rescue his people, but he will also come as a warrior to destroy evil forever. Revelation 19 and verses 15 and 16 says a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod, picking up directly on the language here, verse nine. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The royal decree. Finally, the refuge in Christ. This psalm ends with this beautiful 
invitation, full of mercy and grace and love. Look at verses 10 through 12. So now, kings be wise, Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. Do you see this gracious invitation? that is extended, extended even to those who are currently in rebellion against him. All who take refuge in him, in Christ, are happy. You see, God does not delight in judgment. I mean, a lot of this psalm has been about the judgment that will will one day come. But listen, God's delight is not in, 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 in judgment. He delights in seeing people saved even those who are currently in rebellion against him. This is a gracious God here at the holding out, holding out this invitation to to come, to take refuge in him. God does not delight in in the judgment of anyone. Ezekiel 11 and verse 32 says, God says, for I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. Again, in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, God says, tell them, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. Repent, repent of your evil ways. Why will you die, house of Israel? Why would you die? when Christ has died for you? Why would you die when he is risen from the dead and there is life in him? Flee to Christ. Take refuge in Christ. The Christ who stretched out his arms on the cross and died for sinners like you and me. Died for sinful rebels like you and me. That same Christ is risen from the dead and he beckons us to come. You know, come to me. Stop your rebellion. Take refuge in me. Happy are all those who take refuge in Christ. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says this, there is no refuge from him, only in him. Let's pray together. Are you in Christ today? Have you taken refuge in Christ? Oh friend, on this Christmas Eve where we celebrate the birth of Christ, turn to Jesus, run to him, flee to him. Stop running from God and start running toward him. Stop your rebellion against the world's true Lord, it is futile. There is no refuge from him, only in him. Christ has come, he's coming again. And on that day, he will either be your savior or he will be your judge.
turn to him now as your savior that it's so that he will be your savior on that day. The baby born in Bethlehem is the world's true Lord. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Turn to him, trust him, bow the knee to him, receive him as savior and Lord and king. And so Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. The world today, most people will just, they, they don't understand who Jesus is. and they, they just think about the baby in the manger, but the baby in the manger is only good news when we understand his finished work. That he went on to live a perfect life, perfect obedience to your law. That on the cross, he could die for our sins atone for our sins, make perfect atonement for them. And that you raised him from the dead, that death has been defeated for all who trust in Christ and that Christ has ascended to your right hand and he has been installed as king and he is coming again as king to rescue and raise his people and to destroy evil forever and to, to, to make everything that is wrong right and to make everything in this world that is broken whole. The Christmas story is all about that, the whole work of Christ. We can celebrate his birth today because we know how the story ends. And we pray that our story would be that Christ is ruling and reigning in our hearts. And it's in his name that we pray. Let's stand together and, you know, this. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the 
Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 